Well, if you've been around this summer, you, you know that we've been hitting some of these really hard discipleship passages that Jesus takes us through. And I always question the lectionary. It's like, why, why in the middle of summer when people are going on vacation and they're, they've got relatives in town and we're celebrating Independence Day weekend, for instance, and why are all these really deep, hard theological passages coming at us? And then it dawned on me that even in the midst of summer, we need to be reminded about the call to ministry. The reality is that there are people here that are visiting town. We had a couple, um, Lois Benetti's, um, who was a dear member of the church. Her, her children were here. One of her daughters was here with her husband. And, and people come and go, and, and we're on vacation and whatnot. And wherever we are, we need to be reminded of ministry in the midst of, of the busyness and the confusion of summer when we're off our schedule. You never know who God's going to bring in and, and who is going to hear these passages and who will be encouraged towards ministry. Also, I think it's helpful for me and for many of us who are involved in summer camp because next week starts summer camp and we need to constantly be reminded that the work of ministry will be intense. So pray for us who will be heading over to Camp Araminta in about a week's time. But wherever you are in the midst of your summer, if you've come back from vacation or if you're heading on vacation or if you're planning a vacation or if you've just gotten over a long weekend, a 4th of July celebration, the Lord wants to bring us back to the needfulness to prepare ourselves for ministry. Now, I like the fact that Jesus sends out the 72 because oftentimes there, there's ways that we can read scripture and we can let ourselves off the hook because we, say, we hear Jesus talking and teaching and preaching to the, the 12, the disciples, and we say, well, that's just for his elite force. That's just for his super extra spiritual guys that he sent out. And, you know, maybe that includes some, some ordained people, but that's not for me. That's the 12. But Jesus doesn't just send out the 12. He sends out the 72 here, doesn't he? And remember the day of Pentecost, he, there's more than that. There's like 144 that are gathered in the upper room that are there when they are breathed on by the Holy Spirit. So there's this constant reminder that what he teaches the disciples, the 12, he teaches the 72 to the, to the 140 and then beyond. Remember Jesus says, I don't just pray for those who are here, but for those who will believe because of your witness. So we're included well, what does Jesus say? How does he want to equip us today? I think there are at least five little, little tidbits here. Little tidbits. There are five profound teaching points that Jesus wants to remind us of as we look at this really well-known passage. How many of you are familiar with this passage? I mean, you know, laborers into the fields. All right, good. So I may call on you to call out one of those points because clearly some of you, you are familiar with the passage. What's the first thing Jesus does? He sends them out two by two. Now, I don't know about you, but there's this sense with, with me, maybe it's because I'm an American, I, I tend to want to do things on my own, right? I want to be a lone ranger. But if you're, I, I think I've said this before, but it's so crazy to me that we talk about being a lone ranger. The lone ranger wasn't alone. He always took Tonto with him, right? We, he always had his sidekick with him. He always had his partner in ministry. Why is it that we oftentimes think we're supposed to go out and do things all by ourselves? 
It's part of that independent spirit we have. But, but Jesus sends them out two by two. He encourages, he wants us to know that ministry is supposed to be done in partnership. But now if you're married, part of your ministry is to be done in coordination with your spouse. And if you've not yet come to the point as a married person where you've experienced doing ministry with your spouse, that is a treat. That is a joy beyond just the normal married life. It is, it is, a, is a thing to, to enjoy and to learn and to find that, that ministry flow. But even if you're not married, there are people that God calls us to. If you're single, he calls us to. And even if you're married, there are times where he calls us to find another believer to walk alongside us in ministry. There are times where we're at work, where we need to know there's another nurse that believes in Christ and that understands what it's like to be a nurse trying to profess Christ to a hospital community. Where, where, where you need to, you know, where you're an educator or, or you're in, in some sort of service industry or you're, you're, God forbid, you're working in IT. You need another believer to be alongside you and to encourage you because they understand where you are and, and they understand what it's the difficulty of, of trying to proclaim the gospel in your particular context. He sends them out two by two. At the end, just because I forgot at the early service, I'm going to say, I believe that one of these points is probably something that you need to work on this week. There's something in here. There's one of these points that's going to be the weakness for you. Now, you may go, I always take somebody. I always have my tonto. Well, maybe it's one of the other things. But maybe it's for you, it's the fact that your tendency is to go it alone to see ministry as something that you need to accomplish. Now, to to even put the exclamation point on this first point is the second point, which is what's the first thing Jesus says? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labor. He looks, Jesus looks out, and he can see the hearts and minds of men and women and children that are going to respond to the proclamation of the gospel. And Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. You may look at Gainesville, Florida, and you may think, man, those are hard-hearted, atheistic, anti-God people. But Jesus looks out of the city, and he sees a harvest of people that will respond to him. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Now, oftentimes, when, if you're like me, when you, when you see there's work to be done, you want to jump to it. You want to work harder. That's that West Georgia in me. It's like, you know, you just got to dig deeper and push harder. And Jesus says just the opposite. He says, fall to your knees and pray. C.S. Lewis reminds us that when we pray, prayer changes us. When we pray, we begin to see things from a different perspective. I was encouraged last December to put on my phone the time 10.02 a.m. on your phone. So there'll there'll be a daily alarm. I encourage you to do the same thing. And at 10.02, which corresponds to Luke 10.2, I'm to pray that God would raise up a new generation of leadership in the church. You know, we got Waverly and Noah up here. Maybe those, those are future leaders in the church, either lay leaders or ordained working with children or youth, missionaries, doing all sorts of work locally, running um, nonprofits to, that minister to former prisoners, or who knows what they'll, what they'll do. But my job is to attend to, to every day to pray for Jesus to send out 
the laborers into the fields and to raise up a generation. And I, let me tell you what's happened as a result of me praying that prayer. It's made me more mindful on a daily basis of every child and every teenager that I encounter to say, Lord, is this maybe one of those future leaders? How can I pray, encourage, and teach, and mentor that kid? It begins to change you as you begin to pray. We pray for our enemies because it begins to change us, because it humanizes our enemies. We pray in the prayers of the people. We, we don't just pray for those who are persecuted, but for their persecutors. Why? Because God wants to change our hearts to begin to pray that our, their persecutors would be converted. Paul, who wrote Galatians, was a persecutor of the church. Who are you praying for that's your enemy? Or that's an enemy to the cross of Christ? God says, fall to your knees, pray, Jesus says. So he says, go by twos, go together, and he says, pray. But then what does he say next? Well, thirdly, I think he says that we are to continually be in a place of total dependence upon the Lord. What is going on with no money belt and no sandals and all this stuff that we're to, you know, we're to, we're to be in, comp- no knapsack, no, no, no backpack. I'm a hiker. I, I obsess over needing whatever it is I think I might need in my bag. You know, you guys know I was hiking. I, I tossed out to cut weight my extra pair of shorts. Big mistake. It rained on us as we walked into Harper's Ferry on day three. I mean, it rained like Forrest Gump rain. I mean, you know, the forest, when he's in the, the Vietnam and it's raining, all the, it goes through all the different types of rains. My brother can recite all that dialogue. And so he's, he's talking, they're bright, you know, blowing rain and blah, blah, blah. He goes through the whole thing. And we walked for four miles in the complete rainstorm. And I got into Harper's Ferry and I had no dry pants. Thank goodness for towels and bathrobes and, and a grace, graceful host that, that washed and dried our clothes. So I'm so thankful for that. But, but, but we, we obsess about having everything. We want, I, I hear it, some of the older folks talk about, I want to set myself up financially so my kids don't have to worry about my care. Total independence, right? We don't want to have to beholden to anybody. We don't have to ask anybody. And yet the Lord says, go with all these things left at home because he wants to emphasize the fact that we have to continually put ourselves in ministry in a place of dependency upon him. I had to learn that as a youth pastor early on. I I was in Germany. I didn't have a driver's license. I had to ask parents to to be our, our rides to different events. And it killed me. I didn't want to have to ask for help. Some of you guys can relate to that. And yet Jesus purposely puts them in a place of total dependence to see. Uh, years ago, I was encountered a couple that were involved in navigators. And the navigators parachurch organization would actually send out its workers for a couple of weeks. And he would send them out two by two, just as Jesus instructs here. And he would tell them to, they, they would be sent out without any money. Or maybe like $2 or something. And the deal was that they were to go, they were to pray, they were to be led by the Spirit. They were to go out and they were to find folks who would help them, who would give them a place to stay or to feed them or let them work to make some money. And it was to demonstrate that God will take care of us, that he will provide for us. And what an amazing opportunity to be in complete dependence upon the Lord. Jody and I went to seminary for three years. 
Three little kids, one, three, and five. No job. No debt, but no job. And for three years we lived upon the generosity of the church of God as people gave over and above their tithe to support us in seminary. Church that Adrian and Jose were, uh, parents were a part of as well. They were probably helping to send us there. But boy, it taught us so much about where our provision comes from. Now, it's impractical for us to be sent out. Most of you guys wouldn't want to go out with $2 in your pocket, having to be dependent. But, but it makes the point that our need is to be dependent upon the Lord in ministry. That he will provide what we need. Ultimately, everything comes from him. And in a lot of ways, the ways we try to protect ourselves from being vulnerable, from having the need for others, in fact, is contrary to his will. I had asked my friend Patrick to drive us to the trailhead where we were going to walk. We walked the whole state of Maryland, just the skinny part, 40 miles, not the wide part of Maryland. But it was 40 miles and extreme heat. But we had asked my friend Patrick to drive us up to the trailhead drop us off in Pennsylvania, and we walk back south. Waynesboro. If you've ever been to Waynesboro, it's a major metropolitan city. One person's been to Waynesboro. You grew up in Waynesboro? Oh, my gosh, Pinmar Road? Yeah, we did. That's where we, that's where we, that's where we left from, that park right there. Kate knows Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. How, who, what, do you, what do you know about that? Well, anyway, so we're on the way to Waynesboro, and we get stopped by a, a semi that's been, that's been wrecked and is laid out across the road. Um, and we spent two and a half hours stuck in a traffic jam. Now, I'm feeling completely guilty because not only if my, my friend Patrick and his wife Jordan, they've taken time on their first day of vacation to drive us up to Waynesboro, but now they're going to be delayed even more because of this accident. And I'm just like, you know, apologizing, I'm so sorry, take all your time, you know. Patrick and Jordan, completely opposite attitude. They're like, we don't, this is, we're glad to be able to serve you guys. We're glad to be able to help you guys. They, they like putting on like uh, Netflix comedy routines and watching episodes of The Office and just entertaining us in their, in their car as we're waiting for this traffic jam and had the best attitude. Well, let me tell you what happened. My brother goes home and tells his wife, my brother Zach, his wife's Beth, says, Beth, you would not believe these people. I've never met people that were so nice, that were so giving, that were so hospitable. I mean, it not only changed my brother, but it changed my sister-in-law who wasn't even there because she said, I don't, she said, I don't think I know anybody that's as generous and merciful and hospitable as your friends, Jordan and and Patrick. Well, if, if we had got an Uber ride, you don't feel sorry for the Uber driver, right? It's part of the business, right? But in this situation, we were dependent upon friends and they received a blessing for ministering to us and my brother received a mis- minis- uh, blessing by seeing that ministry done. This is why Jesus calls us to complete and total dependence upon him We have to find ways to fight against the need or the desire to protect ourselves from the need for anyone else. We can't be like Paul Simon. We're not islands. And when we try to be, we're contrary to the will of God. Well, fourthly, I think, and I'm just kind of 
hitting the, the points that Jesus makes here. I'm asking you to kind of fill in the blanks, go back and look at the passage here. But the fourth thing I think Jesus says is he, he reminds them to be the, the importance of their mission and to not be distracted. What in the world is Jesus talking about when he says, when you're, when you're going, don't be distracted. Don't greet anybody on the road, but go straight to the city that I'm sending you. Well, what's up with that? You know, we're Southerners. You don't say hi, you know. It's big, big, big trouble. And, uh, but in, in Middle Eastern culture, when you greet someone, it can lead to a, an invitation to tea or coffee. And that can lead to invitation to dinner. And then you're there for uh, a whole day and the next day. And, you know, and so in that Middle Eastern cultural context of the first century, to greet people was to be opening up to all sorts of distractions. And Jesus says, I want you to be reminded of the mission Proclaim the kingdom. Go to the people who need it. There's, there are folks who are going to receive, but you need to go. You gotta, can't be distracted. Even when we're on vacation, even in the middle of summer when we're kind of chilled out and we're, and we're not, you know, we're on vacation or we're with family and friends, we need to be mindful of the ministry opportunities that are happening all around us. They're all that was there. Maybe somebody at the hotel that you stay at or in the restaurant you go to or somebody that's staying in the condo next to you or on the beach. Or, there's always opportunities to proclaim the gospel in word and deed. To be a blessing to somebody like Jordan and Patrick were to my brother and I. Zach and I were walking down into Harper's Ferry. Uh, it was a big decline, about a thousand foot drop. And we're coming down and here's this woman, middle-aged. I can say that because I'm middle-aged. I admit it, I am. Anyway... And, and she's got brand new hiking stuff on. I think she even had like a tag on something. I mean, this lady was brand new to it. She's walking up. She's got her hat and her pants and, you know, all Columbia out. And she's got three liters of water. And she has consumed every bit of her water. I mean, three liters. And she's still got, we know that she's still got a good 20 minutes to the shelter where she can drop her pack and then go, that's the top of the hill, and then she can mountain, and then she can go down a half a mile down to the stream and get more water, and come back up. And uh, Zach's like, "Do you have any water?" And she said, "I drank it all." And Zach says, "Well, I've got extra. Let me pour out some, give you some water." And it's the only place I know in the world where somebody's been drinking out of a water bottle for quite a while, and they offer you water, and you say thank you, right? You know, you're down here, somebody says, hey, I haven't finished this water bottle. You want the rest of my water? You're like, no, thank you. I'll get my own water, you know. But on the hiking trail, when you've got another 25 minutes at the top of the mountain, you're going to take that water graciously, and she did. And, and it was that opportunity to, to, to minister to her in that moment, to be a blessing to this lady. We could have just walked right by her. Ministry is always there. And again, I think this is one of the things while we're in the summer and we're, 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 we're out doing our things and we're enjoying our time. And it's fine. Have your fun. But, but be mindful of the people that you might could be a blessing to as you're going. Now, lest you think we just left Dee, her name was Dee, up on the mountain. We got down almost to the bottom and we, uh, we saw this young couple, millennials, tattoos, piercings everywhere, hairs braided up. The guy and the girl, they're like no body fat, super cool, you know, tan, you know, through hikers. We're like, hey, there's a lady D. She's about 
20 minutes up the road up there, will you help her? And they're like, of course, you know, I, she may need water, da, 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 gave them the situation. And they, they took off like, you know, super cool millennial hikers do. And Zach and I were like, God bless you guys. And then we went down and, and got some dinner. Ministry, it's always there. Jesus said, don't be distracted. When we become so distracted with our stuff and our agenda and our plans that we miss the opportunity to be a blessing as we go, we're not ready for ministry. It's always there. Lastly, Jesus says, stay humble. Don't rejoice that, your name, that, that the demons have, uh, you have authority over the demons. Don't rejoice. You know, even though Jesus says, I saw Satan falling from heaven like, like a lightning. I, he, he sees Jesus' defeat as we go out and bring ministry in his name. He's, he can, Jesus can see Satan being defeated. But he says, but don't rejoice in that. Rather rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Stay humble. We know too many Christian leaders who, you know, do great things for God. And then it becomes, look at what great things I do. And then it's the crash. Jesus says, don't, don't, you know, let me work through you. But don't, don't become prideful. Don't become focused on the ministry you're Ministry success can be one of the worst idolatries. Be humble in the midst of whatever I'm using you for. I would suggest that one of those five is something you struggle with. Humility, distracted from ministry, right? Not willing to go with someone else, not being willing to be dependent upon the Lord or forgetting to pray. I know the one that's hard for me. Which one is hard for you? Now, before I conclude, I'm not going to just skim over the fact that you saw and heard a lot of judgment passage in the readings. The Old Testament reading, the psalm, even in Jesus' words in the New Testament lesson, right? And Paul talking to the Galatians. There's there's this judgment passage. What What is that about? Well, God cannot bless our rebellion. God cannot bless our sin. If we choose to ignore God and to live contrary to his word and as if he doesn't exist or matter or that he will not give, we won't have to give an account for our lives, God cannot bless it. And so judgment will come to those who are rebels. But, of course, the final word is not rebellion. It's Jesus' grace and mercy. Christ came to call rebels and sinners to forgiveness and life in Christ. He came and not only came, but he gave his life on the cross to reconcile us rebellious sinners back to him. And we get to proclaim that. We get to proclaim into a lost and broken world that Christ has come, no matter what they've done, no matter what we've done, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That if we simply turn to him and ask, he will forgive and cleanse us. Now, I, I just want to conclude. I don't, I'm not going to preach it. I was tempted to preach it, but that Galatians 6 passes. Don't forget what, what you heard read there by Jamie a little while ago. What we sow, we reap what we sow, either to the spirit or to the flesh. 
Do not give up in doing good, for you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. That's what Paul says. So every time you have an opportunity, do good, especially to the household of God. That is our call to ministry. Jesus wants to prepare us in the summer as well as in the winter or the fall. We don't really have a winter, but you know. But, to, but that we're to be preparing for ministry and not to give up, for we will see a harvest. We will reap a harvest. Because the Lord of the harvest is working in us by his power and through the gift of his Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.